College Products presents the world of philosophy, narrated by Lynn Redgrave. This is on the philosophies of India. In the West, India and its many philosophies have often been viewed with wonder and fascination, an attitude well captured in the title of A. L. Basham's popular 1954 book, The Wonder That Was India. The European scholar Marx Muller, more than any other person, made Indian philosophy and spirituality available to the West. Muller also founded the discipline of comparative mythology and is probably best known for editing a book series entitled The Sacred Books of the East. These translations began to be published in 1875 and they made the classical works of Indian philosophy available to many new readers in the West. Muller repeatedly expressed his high regard for Indian philosophy and he was especially fond of Vedanta, the Hindu philosophy that he described as a system in which human speculation seems to me to have reached its very acme. According to Muller, Vedanta compares favorably with the most highly regarded systems of Western philosophy. It is surely astounding that such a system as the Vedanta should have been slowly elaborated by the indefatigable and intrepid thinkers of India thousands of years ago. A system that even now makes us feel giddy, as in mounting the last steps of the swaying spire of an ancient Gothic cathedral. None of our philosophers, not excepting Heraclitus, Plato, Kant or Hegel, has ventured to erect such a spire, ever frightened by storms or lightnings. Stone follows on stone in regular succession after once the first step has been made, after once it has been clearly seen that in the beginning there can have been but one, as there will be one in the end, whether we call it Atman, the eternal self, or Brahman, the absolute. The 19th-century German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer wrote that his philosophical outlook was virtually the same as that of another Indian tradition, the philosophy of Buddhism. If that veil of Maya, the principle of individuation, is lifted from the eyes of a man to such an extent that he no longer makes the egotistical distinction between his person and that of others, but takes as much interest in the suffering of other individuals as in his own, and therefore is not only benevolent in the highest degree, but even ready to sacrifice his own individuality whenever such a sacrifice will save a number of other persons. Then it clearly follows that such a man who recognizes in all beings his own inmost and true self, must also regard the infinite suffering of all suffering beings as his own, and take on himself the pain of the whole world. If I am to take the results of my philosophy as the standard of truth, I should be obliged to concede to Buddhism the pre-eminence over the rest. 
Indian philosophy also significantly influenced members of America's transcendentalist movement, including the poet and philosopher Ralph Waldo Emerson. Emerson's 1856 poem, Brahma, reads like a creation of Hindu philosophy. If the red slayer think he slays, or if the slain think he is slain, they know not well the subtle ways I keep and pass and turn again. Far or forgot to me is near, shadow and sunlight are the same, the vanished gods to me appear, and one to me are shame and fame. They reckon ill who leave me out. When me they fly, I am the wings. I am the doubter and the doubt. And I, the hymn the Brahmin sings. In 1949, the renowned scientist Albert Einstein saluted India's assassinated spiritual leader Mahatma Gandhi with these admiring words. Generations to come, it may be, will scarce believe that such a one as this, ever in flesh and blood, walked upon this earth. Some Westerners have a romantically uncritical attitude toward Indian philosophy. They see it as a source of timeless truth that's a striking alternative to Western materialism. Other Westerners look down on Indian philosophy as a form of superstition that includes idol and cow worship, along with a denial that there is value and purpose in our worldly lives. Both of these opposing views are caricatures, and they usually are held by the ill-informed. Whether positive or negative, many of our Western views about Indian culture and philosophy are based on our own cultural conditioning, biases, assumptions and stereotypes. The 17th century philosopher Baruch Spinoza struggled to overcome his cultural biases with a method he described in these simple terms. Whenever I have confronted that which was unfamiliar to me, I have constantly sought neither to praise nor to condemn, but only to understand. Yet our Western views and stereotypes are often inadequate for understanding Indian philosophy. For example, traditional Western religious philosophies all accept that God is real. So a traditional Jewish, Christian or Muslim philosopher could not also be an atheist. But an Indian religious philosopher may indeed be atheistic. In fact, the oldest system of classical Hindu philosophy, Sankhya, denies the reality of God and it seeks salvation through identifying the self with Purusha, or pure spiritual essence. Buddhist philosophy, as taught by the Buddha, also is founded on principles that are atheistic or agnostic, and it affirms a state of spiritual enlightenment and salvation called Nirvana. The Western perception that Indian philosophies are world-denying and life-denying are based on some Indian claims that worldly existence is a mere illusion and lacks reality. But such claims are exceptions. Almost all of the philosophies of India accept the existence of a real world and do not understand the world to be an illusion. Indeed, most Indian philosophies affirm that illusion is created by the false ways in which we relate to the real world. 
it can also be very misleading to describe Indian philosophy as purely spiritual, as if it overlooks the material aspect of our existence. The Indian philosopher Daya Krishna has stated that when it comes to ontology, the study of being, Indian philosophies typically affirm the reality of both spirit and matter. After all, what exactly is meant by describing a whole philosophical tradition as spiritual? The term in the ontological context means that the nature of ultimate reality is held to be the same or similar to that of mind or spirit. Spirit is opposed to matter, and the spiritualist metaphysics implies that spirit alone is real, and what appears as matter is only an appearance, something illusory, something unreal. Viewed in this perspective, Indian philosophy can hardly be characterized as spiritual in character. It certainly is true that most of the schools of Indian philosophy do recognize the ultimate reality of spirit in some form or other. But so do they also recognize the ultimate reality of matter in some form or other. Another common Western stereotype is that philosophy in general, and religious philosophy in particular, must be exclusivistic. That is, a philosopher must choose between alternatives that are exclusive and incompatible. For example, a philosopher may be a Platonist or an Aristotelian, a Marxist or an existentialist. A religious believer may be a Jew or a Christian, a Protestant or a Catholic. You can be one or the other, but you cannot be both. Indian philosophy, however, is often far more inclusivistic. It accepts.